Welcome back to Starting With A Story. My name is John Lee, recent college graduate who just happened to stumble upon a microphone. And each week, I hope to bring you a person or story that motivates and inspires you to grow and connect with more people every single day. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now, let's get to our story. Good morning, everybody. Today, I am absolutely pleased to bring you a past professor of mine from Villanova University, Kate Zemanski. I had the absolute fortune of taking her social networking course, where I was able to learn the ins and outs of professional world interactions. Now, Kate is a phenomenal mentor and continues to motivate and inspire her students to strive for greatness, to aim higher, to believe in their own capabilities and surpass their own expectations. I'm so excited for you guys to hear what she has to say, so I'll keep this intro short. And I know for a fact that regardless of what stage you are in your life, you will be able to learn so much from her today. So please help me welcome our amazing guest, Kate Zemanski. Good morning, everybody. We have the wonderful, magnificent Kate Zemanski here. So give her a shout out. Hello. Hello, Kate. How are we? <laughs> well, hello. Good morning, John. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, thank you so much for being with the uh, Starting With The Story community. I'm sure that they'll really appreciate it and learn a lot from you today. So thank you. Um, oh, well, thank you. I'm humbled to be here. Thank you. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so let's uh, let's just start off with um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your upbringing and kind of where you are today and a little bit about your story. Sure, absolutely. So um, I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in a working class neighborhood. We were first generation college students, my sister and I. Uh, my father went to college. He has a little bit of college under his belt, but he did not graduate. And it was since we were children instilled in us that education has transformative powers. So it was absolutely a value in my household um, that my sister and I continue our education. Um, I had a beautiful childhood. Um, my parents happened to be divorced, but I never for once doubted their love for me. Um, I applied to different schools when it was time um, to look into colleges. And where I wound up at Villanova University, it wasn't uh, my first choice of schools, if I'm very honest. But um, as I reflect back, it was absolutely the perfect fit for me. And I'm very, very happy that I landed there um, as a student. Um and then, you know, career-wise, studying history, English, philosophy, language, the liberal arts, the humanities, um, is where I gravitated. Um, I absolutely love research, writing, journalism, and that's where my career began. So when I was at Villanova, um, I served as the editor of the Villanovan, which is the student-run school newspaper. Yeah, I used to and all. <laughs> That's terrific, John. Yes, I think that I think I knew that back in the day. Um, but I always viewed journalism as a hobby. Hmm. I didn't consider it at the time um, a profession that I wished to pursue. Um, but then when I wasn't doing the newspaper anymore, kind of like second semester senior year in college, I missed it. I felt that void. And it was a little bit of a light bulb aha moment when I said, something I could do as a career. So upon graduation for, from Villanova, I pursued a career in reporting, writing, journalism. And that led to some twists and turns, all good stuff. I was at a, a little bit of a career juncture where I could continue on that journalism path. And where I was at the time was, you know, covering local school board meetings at eight o'clock at night and not earning as much money as I would have hoped. I kind of had a this profession enough to what it takes to be the next Katie Couric, right? Like to go to Manhattan, to live that type of media dream. And like the answer for me was no. Um, my passions lied more with working in the nonprofit 
space. So I began then to work at a number of different nonprofits. I worked for the National Center for Children in Poverty in New York City. I worked for an organization called Kids Peace in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And that work in nonprofits led to work working more so in education. So having worked in children's nonprofits, where um, education was absolutely part of the scope of the mission of some of these nonprofits. And then my childhood kind of um, focus on education, all roads seemed to lead to a career in higher education for me. So that's when I began to work. I worked at Columbia University. I worked at the Ohio State University. And, and now I work at Villanova University. I support students um, on their career and professional development paths. Yeah, and that's how John, you and I yeah, intersected. Yeah. I ended up taking one yeah. of the classes. Uh, I think it was the social networking class. I, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I remember John being surprised because you you're an engineering major. You were an engineering major, right? Yeah, yeah. I was an engineering, and uh, apparently that wasn't really made. That the class was more towards non. Like engineering or business or nursing students? Or- right. Like how the curricula is in colleges, typically, you know, there's courses, you know, in particular colleges. So our course together, it, the section, of course, is open to everyone, mm-hmm. but it's housed in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. So whenever I see a nurse, a finance major, a mechanical engineer, I'm like, oh, I wonder how they stumbled upon my course and how lucky I feel because those students, their career needs um, are very different. Mm, yeah. Um, and, and in those differences is, I believe, what lies like great beauty, um, in discovering what those individual paths might be. Yeah, for sure. No, so yes. It was fate, you know, it just had to happen. It was fate. <laughs> exactly. It meant awesome. to me, John. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, first off, for sharing so much of like your, your journey and your path. There's a lot in there. And I guess, um, starting from the very beginning from kind of your childhood, you mentioned that your parents were divorced. How kind of has that yes. affected you um, growing up and how what it's taught you thus far, I guess, in your journey and what you've taken from that? Oh, sure, John. That's an excellent question. Um, I was very young when my parents um, separated. I was nine years old, so I was in the fourth grade. Um, so my memories now, I, I you know, remember my parents being separate more so than together. And for my particular family situation, it was just for the best that my parents didn't remain living under one roof or remain married. So I'm not sure how that's necessarily shaped me personally or professionally. I'm sure it has. Um, again, I've never doubted the love that my parents have for me. I saw, I lived with my mother, saw my father all the time. So there's never a question in my mind that I wasn't loved and supported. You know, sometimes I I see families that I feel like the the couple quote stays together mm-hmm. when perhaps um people would be happier, more content mm-hmm. um if they weren't together anymore. But they're they're staying together for reasons that they believe are, are important, but maybe not core to that marriage. And I wonder, does that have a detrimental effect on families? Like to to live in a family that there might be a loveless marriage. Not that I want to judge anyone's situations by any stretch. People make their own choices. Um, But I, you know, I I, I believe I take, you know, relationships very seriously, long-term relationships seriously. I don't know if that's necessarily because um, I, I grew up in a divorced parents' household or not. It was just my reality. Um, something that almost akin to like growing up working class, you know, and I, I never really once in my life realized um, that maybe my parents were struggling financially. And I'm sure at times they were. That was either kept from me and my sister. Um, but I never felt like for, for any moment that we went without whatever it was that we needed. It wasn't an extravagant life by any means, but uh, all of our needs were were provided for and we were, we were very, very happy. Yeah, I, I resonate a lot with that. I have a, an older brother and both my parents. I never personally knew if there were any financial struggles or what have you. And they kind of kept me in the dark. And um, I think the right. importance is just like feeling that support, like you were mentioning, and always feeling loved. And um, I think uh, that kind of played more a role in my life later. Um, but in the moment, it definitely something I struggled with. But also it was just like a good feeling to have that 
So I, I resonate a lot with yes. that. Thank you. Thank you. Right. For sure. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, there was a, you know, like little things like the juggle of, um, like I saw my dad on weekends, right? So I, when a lot of my friends may have been like hanging out socially, you know, I was over at my father's house, which was fine. But like in, in hindsight, and even just with my own children now, I have a 14 year old son, Peter, and eight year old daughter named Tess, and a six year old boy named Luke. And my older boy, Peter, at 14, you know, his world revolves around his friends. And I think to myself, when I was his age, though I had good friends, it, it was, I think, different because, you know, Saturday to Sunday, I would be over my, my father's house, not hanging out at the park or hanging out with my friends. So, so your question about, you know, divorce and how that shapes you, I think is an excellent one, because I think it does shape us in maybe unexamined ways, because we haven't had that to give ourselves that time to reflect on it. But yeah. And going off of that, after talking about your family, you kind of went into your career and that's yeah. thing. What would you define as your passion and kind of how did you find that passion? Sure. You know, so I, I've been reflecting on this question since you and I spoke. Mm -hmm. um, and I absolutely love what I do. And I think if you ask any of my you're students, great, you're great. Oh, well, that's, you're very kind. Thank you. And I believe my students would say like, oh, Kate is so passionate about what she does. And I truly am. But when I think of like, is this my, is this my life's utmost passion professionally? I don't know how to answer that because my hope is that this is a great, big, wondrous life. And like what, what opportunities exist beyond what it is that I'm doing now, whether it be at Villanova, whether it be somewhere else. So teaching students, being an educator is extremely fulfilling and meaningful to me. Um, working with students to help them identify what careers they would like to explore and discover. Absolutely adore it. I had a great success story yesterday, John, one of my students. A sophomore. This will be interesting, maybe from for some of your listeners. Um, large companies are recruiting students to work as interns nearly a year in advance. So my particular student, a year in advance, John. Yeah, it's remarkable. So my student studies political science, and she would like to work in financial services. And fortunately, many big banks, investment firms are open to hiring all majors. So my student is absolutely a very, very strong candidate. So she applied and she was accepted. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. And the internship is summer 2019, which is a more than a year from now. Yeah, that's right. Crazy. So it is, it absolutely is. So, so part of my role as an educator is ensuring that my students understand these deadlines. So that if these are opportunities they wish to pursue, um, they're successful candidates. They don't come next summer and say, I would like to work at XYZ company. Meanwhile, the recruiting for student interns was wrapped up in April 2018. Exactly. So this is the part of the job that I absolutely, you know, the, the um, being in touch with students and outreaching and communicating with them. I absolutely adore having these types of conversations. I definitely value. I don't know how I feel about these accelerated recruiting deadlines. How is an 18, 19 year old supposed to know this is where I want to work next summer? Yeah, that's so intense. That's so early. <laughs> it's intense. Yes. So, and in, and in the liberal arts and sciences, it runs very counter to our mission to liberally educate students. We want students to discover, to take their time, to study different disciplines, and then to make professional and career decisions. Yeah, for sure. And that's well and good. And it's definitely a value that we uphold. But then we have this competing value or this competing current trend of hiring student interns creating this pipeline of talent. So I try to balance the two in my conversation with students, um, but that can be tricky. Yeah, I bet. And there's all these different voices, right? We, uh, there's the parent voices and parents want that return on investment. I'm investing in this college and university, in my son or daughter's education. Will my son or daughter be earning 
a living wage when they graduate. There's lots of competing interests or agendas at play. And I try to marry them as best that I can in my work. And I do, I find it incredibly important, but, but is there more out there to discover, John? I believe there is. And I want to be open to that, right? Like I want to be that person who isn't um, defined by their age, right? Or, or, or thinking like, um, I can only do what I do. I want to, I want to embrace that growth mindset. I can learn. I can develop. I don't want to tell myself, nope, Kate, you can't do that. Put it this. Yeah. What have you been doing to enhance that mindset and to nourish that mindset of that growth and that progress and that there's more out there than what you are, I guess, doing currently and there's so much more that you can. Absolutely. And, and that's a great question. And to answer it very tactically, and this is advice I give young people at our university. It's, you know, you have current classes or a current position, an internship, a work study position on your campus. How do you grow that? How can you demonstrate initiative within that role so that you're expanding it? So I'm a firm believer it's ideas over titles. So it's, it's leadership is not like who's the president, the vice president. Those are titles. And with titles, absolutely comes decision making authority, the ability, you know, to to move the ship, so to speak. But people like me who are kind of operating in that middle, I can stretch my role so I can be very thoughtful about that. And who can I partner with at the university? So just last evening, John, I attended in, uh, I want to pronounce it right, um, Darien, Connecticut, not Darien, Darien, Connecticut. There was a parents reception. So parents of current students and newly admitted students getting together about 70 people. And I was one of the presenters. That's outside of the scope of my role. But when I I embrace that opportunity. So that's how I believe you can have a growth mindset in the positions you hold. How can I take some initiative in what it is that I do and maybe expand a little bit more, expand my skill set, get out of my comfort zone a little bit. And, you know, to be very you know forthcoming with you, I shared I have three children. I live in the greater Philadelphia area. So traveling three hours hours from my home on a Thursday night. Um, that's, I don't want to say a hardship, but I have to make arrangements. Who's going to watch my children? Who's going to pick them up from school? I could easily talk myself out of doing it, right? Uh, I'm not going to bother with this reception because I have family obligations. But then I say, well, put the brakes on Kate. You know, it's think about it. It's one evening. You deserve this. Yeah yourself that opportunity to grow and reach but I, I don't want to diminish that tension right it's like oh dear like my 14 year old is going to watch the other two kids yeah. is the house going to burn down will he remember to shut off the stove will they hopefully they're not going to fight all evening so i'd i'd be i wouldn't be forthcoming if i didn't say all those thoughts aren't you know circulating in my mind but i think anyone in wh- whatever position they're in you could you could ask to job shadow a colleague, you know, hey, for an hour, I would love to to learn a little bit more of what you do. Or may I attend that meeting with you or attending an event that's related but not related to your role? These are all opportunities, I believe, to grow and stretch and discover. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I definitely feel like we don't take enough opportunities to step outside of what our defined position or role is. And by doing that, like you're saying, you just gain so much yes. from that and you can learn so much. So that's awesome. I feel like more people need to hear that. I, I feel like I haven't heard that. Um, so that's awesome. Good. That's wonderful. And and another layer to this, John, as I know you, you have inside information too, the types of courses that I teach at Villanova, we, we talk about many of these types of topics, right? How to be a leader in your job if you're an entry-level person or an intern. And I do believe that, you know, to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. So it's very disingenuous of me if I'm telling my students, this is what you need to do in your internship or your job. And I'm not doing it myself. Yeah. Oh, hypocrisy. So right. 
writing on LinkedIn, right? Composing, thinking about ways to connect. That's part of the reason I like to re- to to write as much as I do, share content about um, internships, about the professions, about trends in hiring. So I find it, I just find it a fascinating area. Yeah, amen. And definitely from your class, I felt more comfortable just sharing content with others in like a professional environment, especially on LinkedIn. I've been trying yes. to feel better at that, but it's just been like a incredible opportunity to kind of reach out to people that I normally wouldn't meet or see and online just reach out and say, Hey, like my name's John Lee. I see that we have this connection. Like, yes, starting a conversation there. And I think I definitely got that confidence from your class and it's definitely helped <laughs> just in the sense of meeting new people. And I love meeting new people. So that's awesome. <laughs> Exactly. And meeting new people in all different contexts, right? Workplace context, but well, also in your personal and your social existence, right? Being able to not maybe be um, afraid to say hello or to shake hands people in the eye. These are all life skills beyond beyond the office. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. For sure, for sure. So you you mentioned your your kids uh, a few times already, right? Yeah. So... Yes. You've been working with students for several years or many years now. How has that kind of changed and your perspective on what you teach your students versus like how you teach or I guess interact with your own kids? Oh, I love that question, John. So it's all age appropriate and developmental. And I think the big message is meeting people regardless of their age, where they are. Right. So I think having my own children has taught me to be very patient, to be as understanding as I can be, um, to know that sometimes you're going to have to say the same thing multiple times. That translates a little bit into the classroom and to professor-student relationships. Um, but it's very much, I believe, understanding that a student age 18 to 22, let's say, a, I know that there's the, the new tradition, the how do I want to say it? It's the the new traditional student, college student is someone who is not age 18 to 22, right? It's someone much older to college to either begin a degree or complete a degree. Villanova is in a universe like that. It's still like a traditional 18 to 22 year old undergraduate campus. Yes, we have graduate programs, but right now in the here and now, predominantly 18 to 22 year old undergraduates. So the information that I share and convey, I, I always need to understand this is where my age demographic of student is so that the information I share is relevant, appropriate, and then is consumed in the right way. So, you know, like for an example, right? Many, many first year students, they're not thinking yet about their careers that they're focused on who's going to have lunch. I'm worried that I'm around campus alone and I'm embarrassed factor or who am I going to live with next year? Um, so I just need to be sensitive to that. Right. And I also understand that so much of college is what happens outside of the classroom. So, and it's a fine line between not wanting to ask probing private questions of my students, but if I'm picking up a vibe that someone may not be connecting well on campus, hasn't found their niche I want all students at Villanova to feel welcome and included, feel like that's my responsibility. So I want to make that happen. And I feel that if that happens, then a student will have the room to think more broadly about their future. If their present isn't as strong as it can possibly be, how on earth can you dream about what the next steps are? Forget uh, who's yeah. a psychology thing where you have to cover your bases first and you go up the, the pyramid, but like the first one, uh, it's definitely like food or something. You have to like cover your, food. I know. I think are you, you're that Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're <laughs> Absolutely. I remember that. I remember that from a seventh grade, um, re- religion class that I had back. Um, and we were talking about, you know, with basic needs, just like you said, John, food, shelter, clothing, heat and warmth in the cold. If those aren't provided, how how can we expect people to think about other matters, right? And this is where we get to issues of bridge, don't we, John? You know, students who arrive to campus not worrying about tuition, not worrying about room and board, 
versus those students who do. And I believe all levels of education need to be incredibly sensitive and aware to challenges that our students are facing. There was something going around on Facebook related to privilege. It was it went a little viral. And I will say all of the participants started at the same place. And the person guiding this exercise, have you seen this? Like, if you are a woman, I want you to take two steps back. You know, if you are over 55, I want you to take two steps back. So the point was, everyone is starting from a different place. And then the, the facilitator said, okay, begin the race. Yeah. So there was people by virtue of nothing that quote, they have done for themselves ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I was actually so fortunate to kind of gone through those experiences in high school. I did a lot of retreat work in high school and yes. my freshman year summer went on this retreat called Leaper Diversity. I love them. They, they literally changed my life. I'm pretty sure. And, um, yeah, I, I, I give a lot to them and a lot of who I am today because of that experience. And basically it's just like a whole week of all this inclusion, diversity, very intense conversations with a bunch of strangers that I had no idea who they were. They took away all of our phones and stuff. And it was like a willingness that like we wanted wow, to get yes. rid of our phones to do that. And we were secluded, um, kind of cut off from the outside world and, I've never experienced anything like that where you learn so much. And one of the activities was that exact line where um, you're just kind of, everyone had their eyes closed. They read a bunch of statements, you move forward or backward, and then they tell you to open your eyes. And it's just so mind blowing what the results are, because it's more than likely if you're a minority, a female uh, or a male, like you were probably in the back if you were white and had um, like a good family or good opportunities you were way in the front and it was just mind-blowing because people i literally had friend friends now that broke down in tears after that exercise because it is so it's so crazy to think that that's nothing that we can control it just it happens and that's just the way it is and you're born yes you automatically start either in the front in the back in the middle like wherever but the other crazy thing is that if you haven't gone through that experience you have no idea and you wouldn't really think of it until like that video went viral or until you had someone personally who's been affected. And it blew my mind that so many people don't understand that concept of privilege and don't understand that, you know, there are a lot of setbacks that we can't control. And that's something that those individuals really have to deal with. Absolutely. And, and what obligation do the people at the front have, have yeah. right, to to help those that aren't starting at the same point. So that's something absolutely that I think just as a society, we need to reflect deeply upon because I, I do believe that we, we have an obligation. We have to, we have to support, we have to provide the, the remove barriers to education, remove barriers, um, and challenges to employment so that uh, we would create a society that's more equitable. And these and 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 those types of exercises and it, it's um it's interesting for me because working in the field of career development, professional development, internships, experiential learning, the experience that you just shared, John, it's so it's physical. You're in the moment. Um, you're doing it with other people, and that's what. I try to emphasize in my work that students in the classroom develop incredible intellectual capacity. That's a wonderful thing. Combining that with experiences, be it in the workplace, be it through extracurricular activities, be it through community service, volunteerism, putting those together creates, I believe, an individual who is so far um, ahead of the curve in terms of changing some of these societal norms that need to be broken down and reconstructed. Um, and it, it's this sweet spot, the combination of things, the education in the classroom with, with scholars combined with experiences that let us explore, evolve and discover, putting that together and then crafting that narrative, right? Uh, that individual story 
that'll be so compelling to employers when students are interviewing for positions. So that's something in my work that I strive to to emphasize to students as well. And I believe faculty members, parents of students embrace this. You know, there, there's, there's this false dichotomy or tension between classroom learning and experiential learning. And, and it's never meant to be that way. It's not either or, it's, it's both and. And I'm a believer of that. And John, you've successfully done those things, <laughs> combining those. And then take those experiences into your workplace. And yeah, for sure. So, so you kind of touched on this already, but what do you think in particular the education system is missing right now? What is the, let's see, what is the education missing system missing right now? So in part, I believe that some students at the higher education level enroll at their respective undergraduate institution and their financial need is not a hundred percent met. If need is not met a hundred percent, that puts a lot of strain on a student. So in 2018, we expect a student to have opportunities to serve multiple internships, to take all different types of courses, to build skills like Excel, skills in networking, skills in statistics, skills in computing and software. How can a student do all of this and work 30 hours a week to help finance his or her education? So that to me is an issue that needs to be unpacked and explored. Some universities do say they cover 100% of a student's need. I question that a little bit because what about unpaid internships over the summer? And, and all of the expenses that arise from those. So it's complicated. It's complex. It's multi-layered. There's no easy answers. Um, standardized tests can place undue. And there was a recent article in the Chronicle of Higher Education and Insider and Inside Higher Ed about this matter that do standardized tests detract from the diversity that many college communities cultivate? And what is it about these standardized tests? And do standardized tests absolutely prove without a doubt that a student will be successful in college? That's something that needs to be explored. There's a trend. <laughs> oh, talk about it, right? Absolutely. Um, many law schools are following a trend of LSAT optional. Right. So or, or we'll consider the GRE instead of the LSAT. So there's different models of education. I think this is very compelling as well. Another area of higher ed, which I don't know if this is necessarily a barrier to higher education, but many students focus on highly elite institutions and feel if they don't, quote, get in, they're going to be unsuccessful in their lifetimes. And that's completely not the case. I, I would, my, my grand desire is that students find that right fit institution, whatever that means for them. That might mean two years of community college, saving money, and then transferring to a four year institution for the remaining two years. The model can be individualized, specific student circumstances. So that's something I think fascinating in higher ed, the different ways. It doesn't have to be the traditional four years, undergrad, 18 to 22. That can exist in this population, but we can have other models. And why not explore them? And of course, my wheelhouse, I, I have to state this as well, something that I'm incredibly enthusiastic about seeing is more and more employers are Blind to a student's major might be a bit of an overstatement, but they're allowing all majors to apply for a myriad of different positions. And this to me is such a promising trend because it becomes then the student's responsibility, the candidate for the job, to design a compelling application. Why I'd be a right fit in healthcare, in financial services, in the automotive industry, in communication, in media, in PR. That to me is a trend that our students need to embrace, get in front of, 
and confidently exploit to the in the very best sense. Yeah. And to me, is that might be removing barriers, right, John? The barriers that maybe you see. It's like if the playing field is even or made more even when it comes to what students study, then we learn that interests, skills, strengths matter more. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Starting With A Story, and I'm your host, John Lee. We'll be right back with more insights with Kate Zemanski. I'm so curious about is how do you go about trying to help a student realize that they have so much potential to help students that are struggling with money or what have you realize that there's so much out there that they're completely capable of attaining? Sure. That's a wonderful question, John. So when it, in terms of career and professional development, our approach at Villanova in our College of Liberal Arts and Sciences comprises about five distinct areas. So we offer students professional development in the curricula, to enrolling in one credit courses where we focus on building LinkedIn profiles, networking socially, professionally for success, business writing, writing professionally. Networking in person, so high tech and high touch moments, shaking hands, eye contact, dressing appropriately. So those building resumes, cover letters, writing thank you notes, all of that we build into our curriculum. So students may opt to enroll in courses. That's level one. Level two, we offer lunchtime evening workshops designed to help students explore careers in the legal profession, in the health profession. We invite alumni to campus to talk about their journey. We encourage students to attend. This is where it gets tricky, right? You know, we, there's times I run workshops and there's 15 students in the room. There's times I run workshops and there's two students in the room. So communication is always a challenge. Getting kind of filling those seats is important. With there's so many competing interests, it's very difficult. As you can imagine, during the national NCAA basketball championship, low attendance and, and totally understandable. Um, that's a realistic struggle. That's something that we face. So coursework, programming, we take students to employer sites. We want students to learn about the nonprofit industry, not just from professionals who come to campus, but let's go on site. Let's learn about what these companies are all about. So half day visits to try to get a sense of, can I see myself in this type of role? And we also host networking events on campus. Students shake hands. If they make a mistake, it's an absolutely safe place where we can kind of correct and do all of those kinds of things. So I don't want to miss any of our points. So in the coursework, Career education, visiting campus, networking, oh, um, professional peer development. So we have a myriad of student organizations from pre-dental club, pre-med club, pre-law society, the bridge society, building relationships, inspiring development, gaining experience. I love to say bridge is a word, but it's a vibe. It's a concept. It's a construct. Um, it's also an acronym, right? We create these opportunities for students to explore careers by asking questions in more informal environments. So taken all together, this is our approach. My ask of students is to take advantage of these opportunities. A student is not going to be able to attend every single one of our events, but maybe again, be planful and intentional. Look at your week. What events can you attend in any given week? And map that out. Put the events on your calendar so it's a non-negotiable. Um, yeah. So I like that that approach of encouraging students to physically get out there and do a face-to-face or 
really just live those experiences and that in itself will give them the confidence to kind of understand that they have so much potential that they can reach limitless heights. <laughs> Absolutely. And sometimes it takes just one person. Sometimes I could be that person in a student's life. Um, I might look at a resume and see something on that resume that the student hasn't necessarily made those connections with. And I can identify skills, be it research or problem solving or, um, you know, I can see that you, based upon your resume, you absolutely enjoy working in the nonprofit space. Have you considered this as a potential career? And maybe no one has ever asked that student that question before. So I try to plant those seeds and we'll see what grows. Yeah. I'm sure the students really appreciate that. It's amazing. <laughs> I hope so. I do hope so. I hear anecdotal feedback, you know, from, I want to say in every, any given year, John, I probably get um, very close to maybe like, you know, 30 students who I feel like I, I know very well. I meet with hundreds, but there's like my, my return customers who visit me during my office hours, who will send to me their application. So I, I absolutely get to know them. And another added benefit of that, once you get to know someone well, when an opportunity comes across my desk, I can say, I know exactly who I need to send this to. Oh, this is totally for Jimmy here. This is, this is yeah, Absolutely. And yeah. that's, that's um, where relationship building comes into play. Yeah. Absolutely. And then student, I model that for our students. And then in turn, I know our students are um, embracing that and then doing it for each other. One student, John, I'll tell you who I work very closely with. Phenomenal sophomore, poli-sci major, just secured a summer 2019 internship, J.P. Morgan and Chase Investment Bank. Again, I'll reiterate, reiterate poli-sci major, fabulous. Orientation counselor last year. She hopes to do it again. She refers her first-year students from her OC group to me for guidance. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. If there's a sweet sauce, that's, it. that's My awesome. student cares enough about her students to connect them to support. And another message is just based upon just my life in general, um, being a mother, being a, a staff member at a university is not waiting to reach out for help until you're at your emotional last right or you're so tired that you just kind of crawl into a ball, you know, and, and weep. We're on this journey together and there is no shame in saying, you know, I need some help right now um, or boy, I'm heading into a really difficult time. I want to talk this out with someone or I'm a member of a student organization and I feel like right now is crunch time and I can't do this by myself. I need my peers to help me. Mm -hmm. yeah. Smart person reaches it. It is not a sign of weakness. No, not it's a sign of strength. I think, John, you had asked me earlier, I believe, about how, how to manage these stressors and the anxiety that comes along with kind of the challenges that we face in life. I thought it was such a provocative question. Um, negativity and stress that permeate our life. And you could say that the SATs and the LSATs and the MCAT bring a lot of this on. And how do you manage it? And I was thinking about my personal strategies Feel the feels, let it sting. We are human. When bad things happen, why do we want to suppress it? It is natural, I believe, when you don't get a job, when something that you want doesn't come your way, to feel that sting. Now, I don't want us to feel that sting indefinitely. Give yourself a little time, right? A day or two, and then say, okay. How will I use this experience to fuel my journey forward? Hmm. That's how I interpret and manage setbacks because they happen to all of us. I've applied for jobs, haven't gotten them, felt like I am a perfect fit, um, but it happens. And disappointment is real. Hmm. I think there's some advice. Up, don't even think twice about it. No, I'm human. I wanted it and it hurts. And I'm going to feel it for a while, but I'm not going to live in that space. My mother's advice as a young girl and as a woman now to me is this too shall pass. 
I even have a T-shirt that has that printed on it. Lin-Manuel Miranda through his um, through his online store. I think his mother also shared that piece of advice with him. This too shall pass. And the older you get, the more and more you realize that. When a student comes to my office in crisis, I just failed at midterm. I got a 22 on a research project. If it, it, panic sets in, let's take a breath. How do we approach it? Yes, it feels terrible to have earned that grade. How can we strategize about this? How can we maybe talk to the professor? See what can we do to improve? What of this do I own as a student? Did I mess up and not study appropriately? Did I leave it to the last minute? Or do I fundamentally not understand this material? Those are two separate things. Our students, again, 18 to 22, blur those. There's a big difference between not fulfilling your responsibilities because you're blowing it off and trying your darndest but not getting it. Yeah. We, we, and when students come to me, John, and say, Kate, I, I screwed up. I missed the deadline for our arts and sciences professional development events. Um, it's all on me and I'm terribly sorry. Can you extend the deadline for me? Of course I will, because the honesty, the vulnerability, being upfront matters so much to me. And that matters in the professional world. I don't want to hear excuses about why it didn't get done. Own it. That matters so much. And then I think students appreciate that level maybe of being flexible and understanding. Um, so it's a, I believe it's a growth moment for all of us. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. So. Yes, for sure. Those are some great, great insights for sure. Oh, that's great. Also, again, very tactically, um, I'm an avid exerciser. I teach exercise classes at my local YMCA. And, you know, when the music is blaring and I'm cycling um, and those endorphins are released, that absolutely helps manage, I believe, many stressors. And whatever that might be for you, going for a long walk, getting fresh air, being with your pets, just, you know, the social emotional support. Um, and, and I believe exercise is a, is a really nice component of that. I think also helps us manage the day to day stressors. Yeah. Amen. I was, I was going to ask you what you did for you and like how um, you kind of cope with it. So that's, that's a fantastic thing. How long have you been uh, cycling? So I've been cycling, I want to say consistently for, about nine years and always inside. I'm, you know, truth be told, I'm a little afraid to get on the road. I believe cars, it's as if a cyclist is invisible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm just a little afraid, but I love the vibe of indoor cycling. I like kind of that darkened room. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. Teenagers to people in their seventies in the class. Um, that, that mix of ages, the diversity there, everybody's on a journey. People who maybe are managing their diabetes, maybe want to lose weight, purely maybe want to alleviate stress, training for a triathlon and it's a rainy day and they got to get their bike ride in. So I love all of that. And my journey to cycling, I was an avid runner. I've run five marathons and um, my knees were like a little wobbly um, and I was sore too long and, and delayed onset muscle soreness is a real thing and it's typically fine, but I didn't like feeling sore all the time. So cycling was a really nice low impact, high intensity exercise that I could incorporate in to what it is that I like to do. So I'm a huge fan. Yes. But this absolutely helps me manage stress. After a workout, I always feel better than when I entered. Hmm. And I, I think many people share that, share that experience. So, so my next question, you might have yes. already answered it, but when do you personally feel you're at your strongest? Oh, when am I at my strongest? What an excellent question, John. You are good at your job. I feel that I'm at my strongest when I'm prepared. I think part of me at times says, oh, I've been doing this long enough. I can wing it. That's not true. And um, I need to be prepared. Um, I like to, let's see, when I'm at my strongest or at my best, 
Um, you know, I'm well rested. I got in a good night's sleep. Um, I understand what it is, the space at which I'm entering to much that I can know that. So, so mitigating surprises that comes into, I think, being prepared for who is my audience? What is the topic of conversation? How much time do we have together? Right. All of those things that I know that I'm at my best when I'm supporting students, when I've crossed those T's and have dotted those I's. It can be like if I'm meeting someone for the first time, a student, let's say, and I don't know the backstory, I feel like I might not be at my strongest to support that student because there's a lot of background that I need to learn before we can hit the ground running. There's so much more in that. There's so much more oh, depth to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, taking like, you know, maybe something that's seemingly a little mundane, but um, helping students identify internships. Mm-hmm. I need to know where do you live? Yeah, yeah. Right. So I'm working with a student right now, home. She's going to return in the summer, Littleton, Colorado. So we're not going to look at internships in New York City or Philadelphia, right? Which, which again, it helps define the search. But if I don't know that going in, we might waste a little bit of time. Yeah, for sure. Figuring all that out. Yeah, definitely loss of efficiency for sure. Yes. So preparation to me is key. And then when you're prepared, that's when the opportunities open up, right? It's almost akin, we can make that parallel, right, John, between a student knowing deadline dates, knowing this is what my week is going to look like. These are decisions I want to apply for. When all of that is accounted for, then kind of the surprises that life brings, I believe you'll be open to it because there's time in your life to explore them. Mm, yeah. So because prepared in, in the, in these other ways for things that you can schedule. Yeah, for sure. Definitely in, in college, I did a lot of um, different activities. So scheduling was definitely important, but yeah. I made a mistake or missed something. It wasn't like detrimental. Whereas like now that I've graduated, my yes. boss says like, here's your deadline. It's on Friday and I don't plan out my week and I miss that deadline. And that, you know, that's, that's pretty bad. Like I could get some, you know, really bad repercussions for that. So learning how to schedule really plan out your week and your strategy is definitely key in my opinion as well. So I resonate. That's great. Absolutely. And, and, you know, just unpacking that a little bit more, let's say the deadline's Friday and let's say based upon your expertise and experience, you know, the scope of this project is too large. Friday is an unrealistic deadline. Mm -hmm. How do we manage through that? Like, how do we solve this problem? And my hope is, we all have a relationship with our supervisor where we can say that we need to have a really forthcoming meeting. I don't know if, if this deadline is realistic. Help me understand that. Do we have some wiggle room or do I need to kind of burn the candle at both ends because that Friday deadline's non-negotiable? Yeah. Yeah. So that to me is like the beauty, I think, of the college experience to students begin to have those meaningful conversations with professors. And the professor hopefully says at the beginning of the semester, the deadline for this paper is April 30th, period, end of story. You have four months. But sometimes professors change dates, add new deadlines, add new projects, and students have to negotiate. Because like, well, I had the... April 30th on my calendar, but now that's changing or you're adding new material. Let me think about how I'm going to accomplish all of these things. So yeah, there's something there. There's definitely a parallel to the professional world. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely we we mentioned this a few times, but just the willingness and the confidence to, you know, speak up and not just kind of take it in your face and deal with it. You know, there's a, a point to having communication that like we can talk to each other for a reason, you know, and being able to negotiate, talk and being a willing, willing to kind of step out of your comfort zone and start that conversation is just it's so important. So key. You're so right, John. And, and when I coach students regarding this very matter, again, very tactically lead with gratitude, be polite and respectful, know the information, be prepared for this engagement. Um, and that goes such a long way. 
for a student to fulfill his or her own personal agenda. If you lead on the defensive, um, you know, I have a story for you um, that everyone will remain nameless. Mm-hmm. We have a brilliant academic advisor in OUS who is in such great contact with her liberal arts students. She has a wonderful reputation, um, emails her students once a week. Did you know this was happening? She's terrific. She's traveling or she did travel last week during a period of registration for next semester's classes. Again, she emailed her students saying, you need your PIN number to register for courses. You must come see me. And I had 35 time slots available to you over this 10 day period. One of her students never got in touch. Oh no. Never got in touch. This student came to the academic advisor's supervisor and said, my advisor is not available to me. I'm not responsible for my advisor's travel schedule. She's clearly throwing her advisor under the bus. Yeah, oh my gosh. And because this advisor has such a wonderful reputation, we can see through what this student is saying to us. (laughs) All the other 30 advisees had no problem. It was this one student. Oh my goodness. And my colleague very politely had a conversation with this student that some of this feedback is just unfair because we know for a fact that this particular advisor is absolutely up on her game. We, this student was given opportunities to say, you're right. I just wasn't paying attention to my email. She dug peels in the sand. You be more helpful to me. And I share that because it's a cringe moment, isn't it? But this student maybe is just not ready. She will be someday. Mm-hmm. And right now, maybe it's just not her time. So we will continue to coach and to guide and support her. But also, it's just being on the other side. Mm-hmm. We know, And this is not to say academics don't make mistakes. Yeah. They absolutely do. But this particular advisor, her mistakes are few and far between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just interesting in that whole space of accountability, negotiating students who are up front and say, oh, my goodness, did I mess up? And I am so sorry. But that didn't come out of this particular student's mouth yet. Yet. Hopefully in the future. That's right. We have hope. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we we are coming to the end of our interview. Um, Yes. Three final questions. But before I ask those, I just wanted to give you a little shout out and really appreciate and uh, recognize you for all the work that you've been doing. You know, you you really do show your passion for people and wanting students and the people you work with to thrive and grow. And it really shows you, you rarely talked about yourself in this interview. And you're just so passionate about, you know, your your students and what you can do. for. Them. I really, really do appreciate that and admire your mission. And I really hope that the students that you continue to work with and the future students recognize how fortunate they are to have you as a, as a source of support, guidance, and um, as a friend. John, thank you. So I, I am deeply grateful and I'm humbled by your remarks and, and just thank you. Thank you. It, it's, um, it's nice to be recognized for good work, but it's definitely not what motivates me, the recognition, but thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. So my <laughs> final three questions I asked this to Yes. Oh, are you okay? Oh my God. I am okay. Forgive me. Yes. Yeah. I asked these last three questions to all the people I interview. The first one is, what's been the favorite chapter of your life so far? Mm. So the favorite chapter has been an ongoing one. And that would be um, family and motherhood. Mm. Um, To me, it's just been, and journeying through the various stages of motherhood, Caring for infants, caring, loving toddlers, young elementary school aged, middle school, and now a rising high school student. That has been to me the most meaningful part of my life's journey. And it's definitely a defining characteristic of who I am and how I see myself. Awesome. Thank you. Good luck to you and your family. That's. Oh gosh. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Second question is, if you had to give a name to the next chapter in your life, what would you name that chapter? 
The next chapter, Kate's Emergence. Kate's Emergence. I'll put it that way. Kate's Emergence. So I, I want to see like what I'm capable of doing. I want to see, you know, my children are older, getting older. They don't need me in the same way. They, of course, need me, I hope, for, for their whole lifetime, but not the same way. Um, so I have more time in my life to devote to who I wish to be professionally. Love to see what that looks like for me. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Exactly. And final question is if you had to put a title to the book of your entire life up until this moment, what would you title that book? <laughs> the title of, of my life to date, the title of my story, right? Let's see. I think I would call it discovery and journeying through life, ups and downs, backwards, sidewards, something to that effect. Um, you know, I think I thought life would be a constant elevator ride. So always going up, whatever up meant. But now I'm older and wiser and realize the journey is twisty and turny and sometimes it's up and sometimes it's down. But in those crevices and in those corners lie the path to discovery, which launches you on a different path. So how boring would my preconceived elevator ride have been if that's truly what life is? That's a trap, right? I think it is a trap. Um, so that's not a catchy, succinct, sweet title, but some of those words would be in it, John. Yeah, yes. yeah and, and that's the truth. You know, those are just real raw words that really describe the journey. So I, I think that's a great title. Well, thank you. Thank you. I have one one buyer of my book. Thank you, John. <laughs> At least two. I, I would buy a <laughs> Oh, awesome. Awesome. I'll autograph them. Yes. Nice. So on behalf of uh, the Starting with the Story community, I, I thank you for your time and have a wonderful day. <laughs> oh, John, same to you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Stay safe, Steve. <laughs> and that is the end of this week's interview. Kate Zemanski is one of a kind, and I truly hope you were able to learn as much as possible from her in this short time we had together. Now, if there's anything I've learned from her, it's that I am capable. So many times in my life, even now, I've counted myself out before anything even started, whether it be for lack of confidence in myself or thinking that I was simply just not good enough, I deliberately chose to fail. And looking back, that's such a, a shame, you know? So I want to take the lessons and insights that Kate shared with us today and challenge you to take action in your own lives. I want to challenge you all to step out of the box that we all live in, the box that life's circumstances and illusions have clouded us to think we are trapped in. I'm so much more than what I believe myself to be. You are so much more than you yourself believe that you are. So stretch a little further, apply yourself even harder, and choose to attain your absolute greatness. If you'd like to continue this fruitful conversation with Kate, be sure to reach out and connect with her on LinkedIn at Kate Zemanski. Now just a heads up, this is unfortunately the third to last episode of season two. It has been an absolutely wonderful time interviewing amazing individuals to share their stories with you all. So although season two is coming to an end, get ready for the last two episodes because they're one of the greatest and get super hyped for season three, which will be coming a little later. Now, all the information from today's episode can be found on our website's show notes page. So be sure to check it out for some extra Easter eggs too. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode or something resonated with you from the story, make sure to tell us about it. Let us know your thoughts and your experiences. If you found value in this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, leaving a review, or even sharing it with your friends. It really helps us out and really lets us know that you enjoy the content. And lastly, 
If you have a story or know someone that does that you think would connect with others, shoot me an email at share at startingwiththestory.com to potentially be interviewed for a future episode. All of the music in today's episode was originally composed by The Bryson Kemp. Check him out at brysonkempmusic.com. I want to be able to connect with people and connect people to each other through storytelling. And now you can be a part of that journey as well. Go out there and share your story. This is John Lee on Starting With A Story, signing off. Stay safe, stay you. (laughs) 